All right, turn with me to John, almost said Romans. Turn with me to John chapter 8, where we're going to be diving deeper into this series about Jesus, according to John. But let me ask you a question. What is the purpose of John writing all these things? So what? So you might believe. It's a trick question. I ask it every couple of weeks. If you actually look in John chapter 20, it says this. It says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not in this book, but these are written so that you may believe. Say, you may believe. Say it again like you mean it. You may believe. Listen, guys, I, I know Arkansas is doing terrible right now. They've lost two weeks in a row. But we serve a mighty God. No? <laughs> so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in his, that you may have life by believing in his name. So the whole point is that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, that is the Messiah. We've been in John chapter 7 before this, and just for context... We're in this time known as the, the Feast of the Booths or the Feast of the Tabernacles. And we've talked about this a little bit. This was a time, it was a week-long celebration. It was one of the most joyous celebrations in Jewish culture at the time. And what they would do was to, to remember that God had brought them through the wilderness. Remember, they'd spent all that time in the wilderness after they came out of Egypt. But all that time in the wilderness, God provided for them and met their needs and took care of them. When most people would have died in the wilderness, they actually thrived in the wilderness. And how did that happen? Through the miracles of God. And so to remember this time that they were wanderers in the wilderness, they would actually go out and build tents or booths where they could see the stars at night. And if you lived in the city, you'd build your booth on top of your house. And as you were getting into town, as an out-of-towner, this temporary city would set up outside the city of all these booths and tents being set up all around. And you come in, and there's, there's lots of, of eating and, and playing and celebration music going on. And during this time, Jesus, his brothers are like, hey, we're going to Jerusalem for the Feast of Booths. Jesus, you should come with us. You, you say you're so awesome, you're doing all these signs, Jesus, come, you should come, everyone's going to be there, you should show yourself to the world. And what we're going to see through this passage, and I want to provide some context for today's, is it starts out as this soft secret thing, like, Jesus, come with us to, to this celebration, and Jesus is like, no, I'm not going to go, I'm not going to go, which he ends up sneaking into, and it's going to end with insults being hurled back and forth of all these people saying these things at Jesus and then wanting to actually kill Jesus and stone him. If, if we look real quick in, in John chapter 7, there's a few things I want to point out. It says, first of all, that not even his brothers believed in him. Like they were actually mocking him, saying, Jesus, come with us to the Feast of the Booths. And, and Jesus is like, well, I'm not going. They're like, yeah, but you should. And they don't believe him. They're being sarcastic. They're ridiculing him the way brothers do. Anybody grow up with really sarcastic brothers? Just, just a few of us. That's rough, man. It's, 
It's tough to survive in a house full of sarcastic brothers. And Jesus' brothers, they were. Now, know that many of them will come to believe on him later. And that's how you got to know that Jesus was the real deal. They go from being sarcastic brothers who made fun of him to, to believing in his name. Jesus says, I'm not going. My time hasn't come. And then down in verse 12, they, they get to the feast. And some people are saying, Jesus is a good man. There's these murmurings going on in the crowd. No one will say it out loud. But others think Jesus is leading people astray. And then Jesus finally sneaks in and he says, hey, I'm, I'm here. And he starts to teach. And, and he says, you guys are trying to kill me. And they're like, what? You've got a demon. Now, guys, that's not, that's not just casual dialogue. Like, if I'm having a conversation, so, so Steve's been kind of helping me out at my house some, and if one day Steve gets there and he tells me to do something, I'm like, Steve, you're trying to kill me, and I don't mean it jokingly. That's not a kind thing to say to him, like, you're trying to kill me, and he's like, you've got a demon. Like, that, that's harsh language that we're using kind of toward each other, right? And so Jesus says, you're trying to kill me. They're like, we're not trying to kill you. You have a demon. He goes, oh, yeah, remember when I healed on the Sabbath? You guys didn't like that, and you tried to kill me. They're like, oh, yeah, that was you. We do want to kill you. Thanks for reminding us. So the Pharisees, in verse 32, they send officers to arrest Jesus. And the people are like, wait, can, can this really be the Christ? You realize the Christ is supposed to, like, in their mind, overthrow the Roman government. So this isn't some small thing that is going on. In the middle of the Feast of the Booths, what they're doing in the temple is they're pouring out water to represent when water would flow from the stone in the desert and provide for them. We sing songs like that. We sing honey in the rock, water in the stone. That's singing about how water would come from a stone in the desert and give them water miraculously. And they would symbolize this in the temple. They would pour water out to remember what God had done. And in the middle of it, Jesus points and goes, oh yeah, I'm the living water. You think that's great? I'm the living water, and that makes people angry. Like, what are you saying? You're saying you're the miracle and not what happened in the desert? Some people say this is the Christ. And as you look through the rest of chapter 7, they, they try to arrest Jesus. They send office to, officers to arrest Jesus, and they just come back. And the Pharisees are like, well, why didn't you arrest him? They're like, he had some really good points. We couldn't do it. Like, we've never heard anyone speak like this man. So then they're lighting these lanterns to represent when God led them through the desert, and Jesus points at those and says, I am the light of the world. So Jesus is throwing down on the religious tradition, saying everything you guys are doing in this temple, it's actually all about me. And it's making them angrier and angrier along the way. He says, I'm the light of the world. And, and then they start throwing insults at him, like, where's your dad? Where's your father? Who's your father? You should know throughout cultures, throughout history, claiming that someone is fatherless has been an insult throughout time. As it is in our culture today, we have terrible language that we use to describe people like that. And so they're actually calling him that, like, where's your father? And so Jesus responds, listen, you will die in your sin, which is, again, this is, this is not a kind exchange. 
Although I would say to warn someone, if you don't change, you will die in your sins, is the ultimate kindness. So the Jews say, well, he's going to commit suicide. He's going to kill himself, which is another worst insult that they could give him. And he says to them, well, you're from below and I'm from above. And unless you seek me, you're going to die in your sins. He says it again. And then he tells them that they will try to crucify him. And they're missing all this. And so it's this heated exchange that's going on back and forth. And that's where we find ourselves. In the middle of this joyous celebration, there's this heated exchange. And it ends with this in verse 30. It says, as he's saying these things, many believed in him. So he's been talking with the religious leaders and the Pharisees, but there's all these other people around hearing. And as he's saying these things, many believed in him. Which brings us to our verse today, which is in verse 31. It says, so Jesus said to the Jews who believed him. So he's turning away from these obstinate, mean people who are insulting, and he's turning to these people who are now believing him. Are you with me? And this is what he says. If you abide in my word, say abide. Say, say it again, abide. If you abide in my word. You are truly my disciples, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they'd answered him. Now, these are the people that believe in him. We are the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it you say we will become free? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you. This is one of Jesus's truly, truly. He says it 25 times in John. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And the slave does not remain in the house forever. The Son remains forever. Say remains. So if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. I know that you are the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. This is interesting. He's talking to those who believe in him, saying, you also seeking to kill me. Wait, what? But we believe in you. Do you? And you do what you've heard from your father. Now, this is Jesus is leading up to something. He's going to use this thing, your father, your father, a few times. And they think they know who their father is. They're, they're going to say it in verse 39. They answered him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said, if Abraham, if you were the children of Abraham, you'd be doing the works that Abraham did. I'm going to pause right there because there's something we miss in this passage and this is this is one thing we we say this all the time um i hear this like the truth will set you free have you ever heard that before the truth will set you free i, I hear it even even in uh places like people who don't even believe in jesus or god will use this phrase right here the truth will set you free in fact universities here's here's one here's this is the library at the university of toronto i think it looks like a castle or something um, but see that big archway there at the bottom? Above it, it actually says, the truth will set you free. And there's a lot of universities that have this statement somewhere like in concrete, in rock. The truth will set you free. And what they're claiming is the more you know, like at a library, the more you'll be free. And I'm going to say to you, that's kind of like saying this. The bank will give you lots of cash. Can the bank give you lots of cash? 
Sometimes if you just put on a mask and carry a gun in, they'll give you lots of cash. Like, the truth is, that's, that's an incomplete statement. Some of you are like, actually, if I went to the bank right now, there's no way they'd give me lots of cash. And you'd be right, because that statement by itself is incomplete. To say the bank will give me cash, that's actually not true. To say, just say the truth will set you free by itself, that's not true. The context which those universities use to display it is actually not true. Well, isn't it true? The more you know, the more options you have. and stuff. Okay, fine, but that's not the way Jesus meant it. I think it's good to get an education. I'll say that again for the back two rows. It's great to get an education. The more you know, the more options you do have. But that's not what Jesus meant here. That's like saying, so, well, this is it, right? You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. More complete, right? You will know the truth, and truth will set you free. And this is the way I've always heard it, and this is the way I've preached it, and I want to apologize to you because this is also an incomplete statement. That's like saying this. You can go to the bank, and the bank will give you lots of cash. There's still something missing from this equation. At least now I'm at the bank and saying they'll give me lots of cash. They might not. And here's why. Can I, can I tell you what you really need here? You need three things. If you continually deposit money, right, you will have a lot in savings, and you can go to the bank, and the bank will give you lots of cash. Do you see that big statement at the top? That's the condition for the three things underneath it. And that's what we miss when we read this verse. We, we just want to, you will know the truth, you will set you free. That's, that's not what it's saying at all. Because even universities and scholars will use that. You'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. That's not the whole thing. There's this thing that happens and these, not two things, but three things that come after that, especially when you look at it in the original language in the Greek. It says this, if you abide in my word. Say abide. And that's what this whole next passage is going to be about. It's going to be about the words of Christ or the logos. And this is important because back in John chapter 1, this is the way John opens up the entire thing. He says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He's saying the word is the whole thing. And the word is Jesus. The word became flesh. The word is Jesus. Here's Jesus saying, if you abide, and that's not a word we use in our culture a lot today. We do use it a lot in this church, but you might not use it outside of that context. To abide is like to remain, to dwell. Like, like I have a house. In my house, there's a bedroom. And in that bedroom is where I retreat when all the kids are getting loud and crazy or when I want to take a nap and sleep like I did yesterday afternoon, until I had to make myself get up, because if I sleep too long, I won't sleep tonight. And then, anybody with me? Some of you are like, you got a nap yesterday afternoon? I will say it's because my wife made me. She said, you've been going too much, you will do nothing on Saturday. And I said, yes, ma'am. Okay, there we go. So, I took a nap. That's, hey, that's where I abide. That's where I dwell. When you're thinking about this word abide, think about your couch, think about your bed, think about the place that you live, your living room. That's the place you abide, you remain, you dwell. 
And this is what Jesus is saying here. If you abide in my word, and here's condition one, then you are my disciples. And I'm telling you, in the church, we believe in discipleship and disciple making. Then guess what? Then, if you're his disciples, what? Then you will know the truth. You can't just know the truth by hanging out in proximity to Jesus. He's not saying that. It's like, well, if you hear some of my words every now and then, you'll know the truth and truth set you free. You're skipping a step. He said, if you abide in my word, then you're my disciples. That word disciple actually literally means a learner, a student, a pupil. If you abide in my word, then you are a student, you're a pupil of mine, you're a disciple of mine, you're a follower of mine. And if you're a follower of mine, then you will know the truth. Not because you casually hear a good sermon once a week. And then if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. It's this conditional thing along the way, and we need to get this right. It's all about remaining in his word, not just knowing it every now and then. It's all about being a disciple and abiding with him. And this is what, like, it jumped out of my heart huge this week, as I for years preached, you'll know the truth, the truth will set you free. And I totally skipped abiding in the word and being a disciple before that. You cannot do that. You cannot do that here. And so we must abide. Say abide. And these people are, are shocked by what he's saying. That the truth will set you free. What, is, what do you mean? We're like, we're the sons and daughters of Abraham. We've never been enslaved to anyone, which is a joke. They were slaves in Egypt, right? Um, then remember, the Assyrians came in, and, and then the Babylonians. I think the Greeks got in there at one point. Now the Romans are in control. Like, oh, we're the sons of Abraham. We've never been enslaved to anyone. As a Roman's attorney comes riding by on his horse, you know, like, what? What, <laughs> what are you talking about? You've never been slaves to anyone. But Jesus, he, he lets that go, and he gets to his broader point. He wasn't even talking about Romans and Babylonians and Assyrians anyway. When you're talking about being free, he makes this statement. He says, whoever practices sin is a slave to sin. And it says this, the slave does not remain in the house forever. And I actually don't like my translation in the ESV. Because right up here it says, if you abide in my word. And down here it says, a slave does not remain in the house. That's actually the same word. It would actually should read like this. It should read, a slave does not abide in the house forever. See, Jesus is drawing a context to abiding in his word. If you abide in his word, the result is you're going to be free. And what he says here is, a, a slave does not abide in the house forever. Then he says, but the son abides forever. The son abides forever. He remains there. He abides there. Steve and I were talking this week, and we started talking about what's the difference between a slave and a son. Both live in the house. Both work for free. I've actually met sons who felt they were slaves in their own household before. You've seen those kids before they grow up in a great family, but their parents just have standards. And they don't want to abide by their parents' 
standards. And so inside their own household, they rebel and they feel like a slave in their own home. You've seen it before, haven't you? Sometimes the difference between a slave and a son is simply your take on where you're at. It's actually the position of your heart more than it is the position of the chains. Are you a slave or are you a son? And what strikes me here is they don't even realize that they're slaves. They don't even know. That's concerning. You can be a slave to sin and not even know you're a slave to sin. We use all sorts of things to fake being free. And our culture is all about it today. The more we claim to be free, the more enslaved we actually are. The easy things, you know, we use to be free, like substance abuse, drugs, alcohol, those are easy to pick on. Well, let let me live my truth. Let me live my identity. Let me be who I think I need to be to feel free. And unfortunately, and, and this, tragically, even in these areas, there's no freedom there. Do you realize that even with all the freedom in the transgender community in today's culture, the suicide rate continues to climb, according to statistics? So even though they're being more accepted and, and more loved and more cared about, cared about by culture, they still feel hopeless and lost. Because I can tell you right now, it's not about who you, well, let me be who I I think I should be. It's not about that. It's about let me be a son. You could only try, find true freedom in sonship. Well, if I'm a son, I have to do what my dad says. You're going to be a slave or you're going to be a son. And both have to do what they're told. I'm telling you, there's freedom in sonship. There's freedom in sonship. The slave does not abide in the house forever. The son abides in the house forever. And then it says this, If the son sets you free, you are free indeed. And here's my question, how are you free? How's the son set you free? If the Son sets you free, you're free indeed. How does the Son set you free? By His Word. By abiding in His Word, He will set you free. This whole passage is about His Word. And, and they're like, well, you know, we have Abraham as our father. We're not. And, and here's Jesus makes this statement about this whole deal. When He says, if you were truly Abraham's, you would do the work Abraham did. And what he's saying here is, like, what did Abraham do? Abraham believed God, and God credited him as righteousness. So if you believe God, you're a son of Abraham. And that's why we sing, I don't know how many of you sang that song when you were a kid, Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons said, Father Abraham, I am one of them. And we said, and so are you, but maybe some of the other so are you's weren't, you know. I always thought about this kid, Anthony. Uh, we lived in Tulsa, this kid, Anthony, he was a jerk. Cussing all the time when the adults weren't around, punching other kids. I am one of them, and so are 
anybody besides Anthony here to point to? Say, Anthony needed Jesus. So let's just praise the Lord. Like, what that song was about was saying, like, being a son or daughter of Abraham had nothing to do with being a biological DNA-tested offspring of Abraham. It has everything to do about being a spiritual son or daughter of Abraham. And that's what he's saying here. You would do the things Abraham did, which is believe the words of the Lord. But he says you do your work, the works of your father. That's the second time he says it. You're going to do the works of your father. And he's setting them up. You do what your father did. And they're like, well, wait a minute. And they throw down again. We weren't born of sexual immorality, which they're saying, we're not like you, Jesus. We know who our dad is. We heard about you, which might have been what they said, maybe not. Jesus said, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here, and I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? And there it is, it's all about the words of Christ. He's saying, why don't you understand what I say? He says, I've told you the truth. I I would challenge you sometime this afternoon to go through the highlighter and through the rest of this passage, highlight everything, every time it talks about Jesus telling them or saying or his word. It's in here over and over again. Why don't you believe what I say? It's because you cannot bear to hear my word. Everyone say hear. Because that word in the, in the Greek is different than us like hear. Hear means to hear and accept. It's kind of like when you tell your kids, go take out the trash. And they hear you, but they don't hear you. You said it, but you know they, even they said, yes, ma'am, it never happened, right? The trash is still overflowing. I thought I told you. Well, I, and there's excuses and all this thing, like, This word here means when you hear and accept at the same time. He's saying, you do not hear me. And then he drops it in. He finally finally puts his finger on the issue, and it's this. You are of your father. You are of your father. Who? The devil. How do you think that made them feel? They keep claiming their father is Abraham. He goes like, nope, let me tell you who your father is. You're of your father the devil and you will do your father's desires he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth wait a minute the truth sets us free which are the words of christ the devil doesn't stand in the truth what does the devil deal and the devil deals in lies his words are lies and they make us comfortable and pacified and they lull us to sleep when we really should be bothered about things sometimes says there's no truth in him. He lies. He speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Like, here's a reality that you can't get away from. You're going to look like your father. And you get little babies, and you're like, oh my gosh, look so much like your dad. Which Michaela, she hates hearing that. I just told her all the time, I was like, Michaela, it's not that you look like a boy. It just means I'm a really pretty girl. Um, you, you can't help but look like your dad. And that's what G- Jesus is saying to these Jews. He's saying, look, I, you look like your, your dad, and it's not Abraham. Because if it was Abraham, you'd look like Abraham, but you don't. You look like the devil, because he lies. 
and the truth is in him. And, and he speaks out of his own character. He's a liar. The father lies. And then this is, look at verse 45. It says, because I tell the truth. I speak the truth. I declare the truth. This is Jesus using his words again to tell the truth. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Uh, Jesus, Jesus didn't tell, um, John, excuse me, John didn't tell parables of Jesus. John includes no parables, which is different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke, who include lots of parables. But I'm reminded when I read this section of the parable of the sower. You remember that? It's like Jesus, he said, whoever hears these words of mine is like my words are like, like the men who spread seed, and the seed, like it lands in different places. And some seed lands on good ground, and it takes root, and some seed lands on the pathway, and, and birds come and eat it, and some seed lands in rocky soil, and it, it starts to grow up, and the sun comes, and, and, it, and it kills it. And like there's all these different situations that are happening in this parable. But the question is like, well, wait, what makes the good seed thrive? And if you go back and read the parable, it's all on you and the condition of your heart when the word comes to you. It's completely on you. Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. What if the devil comes and steals the word? That's still on you because you weren't good ground. Like the ball's completely in your court. You are held completely responsible for the words of Christ. Even this morning, as I'm preaching to you, and some of you are here because you're hungry for the Word of God, and others are, you, are here just maybe out of a sense of duty or obligation to me because maybe a family member drug you along, and you're here this morning, but you're still accountable for the words that are being brought forth this morning. And not the words of Drew, but the words that come from this book right here, the Word of God. And what you do with these words determine the kind of son you are. I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, the kingdom of God has no slaves. There are no slaves in the kingdom of God. There are only sons and daughters. And we see this in another parable that Jesus told, the prayer, parable of the prodigal son. And the son, he says, Dad, I wish you were dead. And he runs off to live the most wild kind of lifestyle that, that, like, as Jesus is telling the story, he's coming up with things that a good Jew Jewish boy would never do. It's just an outrageous story that Jesus is telling about a son who goes and blows all his dad's money, his inheritance, on prostitutes and parties to the point where he's hungry for what the pigs are eating. He's not even supposed to be around pigs. The audience at the time would have been shocked about this story. And the son, it says, he came to himself and when he realized, it's like, wait a minute, even the slaves in my dad's house have it better than I have it right now. So he says, I'm going to go home, and I'm just going to be a servant. I'm just going to be a slave. I'm going to tell you something. The father doesn't allow a son to be a slave. He doesn't. Because he goes to his dad and says, Dad, I'm, I'm back. I'm, I, I'm just going to I'm just gonna be a servant. I'm just going to be a slave from now on. And the dad says, no way. That's not the way we do things around here. And he restores the son. I'm going to tell you this morning, if, 
if you felt like going to church or being part of the body of Christ and serving the Lord, you feel like, I just feel like it's a burden. I just feel like a slave. I'm going to tell you, you don't truly know him this morning. If being in the body of Christ and serving Christ, you just feel like a slave all the time, I'm telling you, you don't know him this morning. I was talking to someone this week, and they said, how, how do I know I'm really saved? And that's always hard when someone asks you that question, right? Because like you don't want to give them a false sense of conversion. If they're not really saved, you don't want to be like, well, I think you're all right. You're probably fine. That's the worst thing you can do if they're not really saved. Because I don't know. I can't look in these people's hearts and see, oh, oh, yeah, you're good. I'm a pastor. Trust me, I know. Guys, I've been fooled before. I'll be fooled again. So this person asked me, how, how do I know? I'd like you to turn with me over to Romans chapter 8, because this is where I led this person as they were asking me this question. In Romans chapter 8, verse 15, it says, For you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. It says right there in verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. His Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we cry, Abba, Father, that word Abba is, is their, their word for dad or daddy. Like, like I cry, when I get into a, a place where, Lord, I, I don't know what's going on, but the cry of my heart is, Dad, I need you. If you go to Galatians chapter 4, verse 6, it says, And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of a son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you're no longer a slave but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God. How do I know whether I'm really saved or not? I'll tell you how. That when life gets hard, instead of saying, you know what, I'm going to do this myself. I'm going to go out on my own. I'm going to try it my own way. When life gets hard and temptation comes or you have a feeling, instead of saying, I don't care, I, I get to do what I want. This is America. It's a free country. Instead of all of that, there's a cry in your heart that says, I screwed up. I need my dad. And that's how you know you're saved. That's how that young man who found himself in that hog pit realized, he realized, you know what? I need my dad. My dad's the only one that can get me out of this. And that cry in his heart was put into him by his dad. The Spirit has been, of God has been put inside of us to seal us so that we can know we are his. And our heart cries, Abba, Father. Dad, I need you. Father, I need you. And I'll say this morning, you might say, well, Pastor Drew, I, I didn't have a good dad. I didn't have a good father. And my heart breaks for you if that was you growing up. But I can tell you right now, everyone in the room can recognize a good father when we see him. Everyone in the room can recognize a good father when we see him. And I'm going to tell you, we have a good father. And even the scripture says, even if you had the best father, he's evil compared to the perfect father. He's evil compared to the perfect father. And we all have but 
a, a shroud, a dark example of the goodness of God, and even in the best of dads. But if you're here this morning and you're saying, I, my heart doesn't cry out for my father, then I implore you this morning to hear the words of Christ and let them, let them resonate in your heart. Let them dig down deep inside you to change you. Surrender to the words of Christ. Eddie, I don't know if you have anything you can play for me this morning, but if you do, I'd appreciate that. The Jews are angered by Jesus' words. Jesus is saying his words are truth and everything else is a lie from the devil. In verse 48 of the chapter 8 of John, it says the Jews answered him, are we not right to say you are a Samaritan and have a demon? They're saying you're a half Jew. They're being racist. You're a half Jew and you have a demon. They're trying to insult him again. This exchange where Jesus has snuck into this festival has now become this heated exchange between him and this is not the Pharisees. These are the people that quote-unquote believed in him. Jesus had a good church going, but when he started speaking truth and saying, y'all have a demon, they're like, no, you have a demon. And Jesus answered and said, I do not have a demon. I honor my Father, you dishonor me. You seek, yeah, I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if, you want, if anyone keeps my word, say my word. Whose word? The word of Jesus. If anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Can you imagine hearing that statement? Imagine you never heard anything like we all, most of us grew up in church and hearing this stuff all the time. Imagine you never heard this before and you heard someone say, if you keep my word, you will never see death. How shocking it would be to your heart. The Jews answered him, now we know you have a demon. Abraham died. They, see, you got to think, Abraham, he was their hero. He was the greatest of great. He was their George Washington. He could never tell a lie. They said, Abraham died and the prophets died. You say, if anyone keeps your word, say your word. If anyone keeps your word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And the prophets? And What do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me. You say I don't know him, I know him. If I were to say that I don't know him, I would be a liar like you. That's the sweet, meek Jesus. If I say I don't know him, I'd be a liar like you. But I do know him and I keep his word, say his word. See, this whole thing is about the words of God coming through Jesus Christ. This is what this whole issue is those this whole fight is about jesus saying my words are truth and your words are lies from the devil so your father abraham he's being gracious here your father your father abraham rejoiced that he would see my day he saw it and was glad he's saying abraham actually saw jesus he saw the day when jesus would come when did that happen 
that's a whole other sermon for another time. So the Jews said to him, you're not even 50 years old. And you have seen Abraham? Because Abraham was hundreds of years before then. And I think it's interesting they picked 50. At this point, Jesus is probably like 32, 33-ish. He, he probably lived a really hard life out in traveling the sticks, the backwoods of Israel. You've got to think, these are men who lived out in the sun. These are men, like one of my professors in college said, Jesus probably didn't even have any of his own teeth still. I don't know if that's true or not. They didn't have the dental care we have. He probably looked old. Probably looked older than 30. And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And this is, this is interesting. He doesn't say, before Abraham was, I was. But what he's doing right here is he's using this special name for God that the Hebrews had for him, which was the I am. When Moses went to set the Israelites free, the Hebrews free from the Egyptians, Moses said, wait, who do I say sent me? And he says, say that I am has sent you. And that's God's name for himself, I am, because he always is. And it's not just like I am, it's I, I was, I am, and I forever will be. That's what that phrase actually means. And so Jesus is standing here, and he says, before Abraham was, I am. If you ever have a friend that says, well, Jesus never claimed to be God, that's exactly what's happening in this statement right here. He's saying that he is the I am. He is the I am that Abraham worshipped. And you know it's true because in the following verse it says, So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out to the temple. Like it angered them so much they decided it's time for him to die. Remember a few verses four earlier when they're like, who's trying to kill you? No one's trying to kill you. Yeah, that's not true. Will you stand with me? Will you bow your heads for just a moment? Because there's, there's really, like there's really one thing we need to take away from this, and it's, it's simply this. Are you a son? Are you a son? Sons, they, they abide in the house forever. Sons, they abide in the words of Jesus. And because of that, they're disciples, because they're there. They're around Jesus all the time. And then they know the truth, and the truth sets them free. Like, are you a son? When you sin... I'm not saying if you sin, I'm saying when, when you sin, when you screw up, when you miss the mark. Where does your heart go? Do you retreat from the Lord? Do you think, well, other Christians are hypocrites too? 
Or does your heart break because you're a son and you know what you've done hurts the father? Do you hide from him or does your heart cry out, Abba, Father, I need you? Are you a son? Teenagers, this morning, you've been blessed to be born into a family that wants you in the house of God. And as you're standing there, the question is for you too. It's not just a question for your parents. It's for you. Are you a son? Who is, who is your father? Do you abide in the house? Do you abide in the words of Christ? Or do you run from him? This morning, the opportunity is here for all of us. Every single one of us to pick ourselves up out of the pigsty and turn towards the Lord. And run towards the Lord and say, Abba, Father, I need you. Your, your words, your words, Jesus, have life alone. My, my question for even though those of us who are serving Christ who say, yeah, I'm a son. I, I would ask you this question. Are you abiding in his words daily? Are you abiding in his words daily? Are you truly a disciple? These are questions that only you can answer.